Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries, a podcast about the interesting characters from our surveying and spatial industry and their unique perspectives on life and our industry. I'm Peter Cox and I use my 25 years of contacts as a surveyor and teacher to dig deep into the lives of others. Each fortnight, I delve into the life and times of people from all over the world who share the same profession and passions. Don't forget to subscribe to my channel, like, comment, feel free to share with your friends. Do you have a question about the surveying or spatial industry? Or would you like to join me for a chat? Or would you like to hear from someone in particular? If so, send me a message on LinkedIn or Instagram and we can catch up. This week, join me for part one with Paul Rollinson from Port Macquarie. Please ignore the slight sound issues near the start of our chat, which was due to internet connection difficulties. So grab your drink, sit back and relax while we chat. Hi and welcome to Defining Boundaries. My guest today is Paul Rollinson, commonly known to his friends as Rollo. He was born in England 60 years ago, grew up in Tilopia in Western Sydney. From his teenage years, Paul was encouraged to obtain a university degree and with an interest in maths and physics, engineering was on his radar. Yet it didn't take long for Paul to become interested in surveying with a love for the land and outdoors. Paul has won an Apexian of the Year Award. I always get something wrong in these introductions. In 1996, two ESI Awards for projects and an ESI Award for Professional Surveyor of the Year in 2018. Paul is active within committees within the surveying industry. And as a semi-retired or retired surveyor, Paul is enjoying his time caravanning around rural New South Wales he also has an interest in local politics and enjoys vying for funding within his local community. Hi, Paul. Thanks for joining me today. Great to be with you, Peter. Okay. So tell me a little bit about yourself. You were born in England. Whereabouts? Well, look, I, I was born in England. I left when I was two, so okay. I don't remember a whole lot about it. I did, <laughs> uh, did go back there once on one trip, but it was just a drive-by to look at the house where I was born. It was born in a house. And I came over as a, uh, a sort of a 10-pound POM family and okay. had an Australian mother who, who chased an English bloke over there. And, we, and there was, uh, at the time, there was, there was th- three of us and then there was two more born uh, when we came to Australia. We, um, we went to a migrant camp and we actually ended up pretty quickly at a place called Tilopia, which is yep. um, near Dundas Valley. Um, a pretty famous suburb in in western suburbs uh, mm-hmm. of Sydney, which which was the western suburb of Sydney in the early days. Um, you know, famous for the Price Brothers and a, and a few other well known people from the Parramatta area. From that point of view, it was a, it was a, it was a kind of a rough place to grow up, but it was a it was a wonderful place. And it's it's interesting that it is changing now, become more urbanised, and it was uh, it was uh, attached to a railway line, the Carlingford Railway Line, which opened. A long time ago but they're now uh, incidentally changing that to a light rail which is fantastic so yeah i grew up there and went to school there and uh and then uh eventually ended up going to uni at new south wales uni okay so what year did you um attend unsw uh straight out of school so that was 1977 um 
I'd probably say that I wasn't the best high school student. Um, but you still like later... physics. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, yeah, except for math and physics. And I sort of learned later that at the time, teachers really, and it'd be an inter interesting question to you, that uh, we sort of interpret the English and art subjects slightly differently to the to the to the English people, and I I didn't I burnt up against a, a couple of English teachers interpreting uh, particular stories and all sorts of I never got particularly good marks because I I just came up with different answers to they did and it yeah. was so subjective I didn't like it because it was subjective and there was yeah. there was no right or right wrong answer so yeah. they weren't teaching to to that sort of personality at the time so. I got pretty lousy marks, but anyway, and, and fascinatingly, I got accepted just to civil engineering, and then I was going to do that, but um, luckily on a second round of offers, I got uh, accepted into surveying. It was, the mark for surveying was actually higher in 1977 than civil engineering, yeah, okay. and that was, uh, that was a great thing to, to happen, and uh, and I really liked uni, and uni was great, and I enjoyed it, and uh, everybody hated first year maths and physics, but I really enjoyed that, so I thought that was fantastic, so it was kind of weird, uh, you know, the, the the expression nerdies coming up in your podcast a fair bit, Peter, and I think it was pretty nerdy, but I really enjoyed it. I think um, we all have a bit of nerdiness somewhere, don't we? We seem to when it comes to the uh, surveying. <laughs> Yeah, we do. And the, the fascinating thing about the university when I started was free. So oh. there was no hex. Um, you had to pay for your books. But, you know, and it was a really, it was a long trek from Tilopia. We we had a, a bunch of guys and we used to drive to West Ride and catch the train, then the bus. So it was a bit of a, it, it was difficult financially. And, mm. and um, but we didn't have to, we didn't have a hex dad at the end of it. Um, I did have to, leave uni at the end of year three because I just ran out of money. Um, my car had died and all those sorts of things. So uh, I didn't fail a single subject at, at uni, Peter, because <laughs> in those days you just had to pass. And my dad says you have to pass, get through it as quickly as you can um, and, and then get on and, and start working basically. Yeah, okay. So when you left in year three, what did you do? Uh, I got a job. I was lucky because my mate had left, uh, my really good mate, uh, Keith Apps had left uh, in year two and he'd got a job at Craig and Rhodes um, oh, okay. in Epping, so which is not far from where I lived. And yeah. uh, he went back to uni and I took his job for that year. So uh, it was really worthwhile. And then, then I went back to fourth year and I had a really good year because um, I basically spent the time asking people, why are you doing that? Be doing it that way because uh, you know, in, in the real life, in the real world, they do it this way. So it was, it was I got a lot out of fourth year in terms of the value of it from that point of view. Yeah, okay. So I think, you know, as a TAFE teacher, I've always found that the students who were working in industry really understood what we were trying to teach them as we were going along. It kind of clicked quicker than, than the students that, don't have anything to do with industry they struggle a lot more yeah absolutely and I, I had a couple of really good mates who who'd done the TAFE course um they were a bit older than me I suppose and and they were fantastic survivors they knew everything what was going on and and they did a great job in terms of revving up their uh, skills in in the technical side of maths and physics I suppose but 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 from the uh on the ground surveying they were really good at it and uh, I yeah. learned a lot from them and they were really committed because they they knew how important it was for them to. They had an aspiration to, 
to increase where they were in the surveying uh, profession. So they went back to uni and it was a significant uh, uh, decision for them because it was financially very difficult. So Yeah, especially if they were working and stuff. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and then I graduated and went back to Craig and Rhodes for uh, another eight years until I got registered. Fantastic um, learning experience, a, a wonderfully diverse firm that actually did separate. They split, um, mm-hmm. which was a bit disappointing. Um, but I learned a lot in that time. I, I think, the, and, and this often clouds a lot of older surveyors, we, we, we went through some really difficult economic times. Um, 83, 84 was a really difficult time. We ended up working four days a week. So it was that bad um, that that uh, people put off um, and uh, we only had four days a week. I was lucky because I got another day a week with another survivor, so it didn't really affect me. But yeah. it just uh, makes you realise how important it is to, to keep things rolling along, to keep everybody employed. Um, I've carried that lesson with me yeah. for quite a long time, really, yeah. basically. Uh, particularly when you know that you can work, you've got the ability to work, but you haven't got the work, and and who you know, how can you uh, have an influence on on the wider economic policy to make sure that you you've got something to do, basically. Yeah, well, we'll probably talk about that a little bit later, but um, it's definitely changed in that sense with uh, uh, some of the committees and stuff that you've been on uh, with the ACS and Michelle and all that sort of stuff in the yeah, past. for sure. No. So, so can I, can I ask you a question? Certainly. What, so, why did you then go? Why did you go from theoretically a uh, you know well-paying, uh, secure job in the TAFE sector and a long-term TAFE employee, whack whacking out to the private sector? It doesn't normally happen that way, Peter. It's the other way around normally. No, no. I I, I like I like a good challenge. <laughs> uh, I just got to the stage where it was. Um, Time to move on. Uh, yeah. Needed a change. Wasn't enjoying myself, and yeah. Um, if did I'm not get, happy, did you get? Were they frustrating? Would it, would it frustrate you in terms of the way they ran it from that point of view? Because we were always button heads with the TAFE in terms of ACS, in terms of who 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 could be enrolled and how many were enrolled. And, yes, and, and I did feel like I was the middle person in all of that. Yeah. We were um, very conscious of that. <laughs> it's um yeah look it you know I I totally understood where you guys were coming from um but also being on that TAFE side we are restricted by so many things as to why we couldn't do everything that you know the industry wanted us to do uh you know I I could do you want me to go through them (laughs) yeah well it's it's a really interesting thing because so we can be frustrated, but but I think it's appropriate to to know that the frustration in the government policy. But there's people inside the government that, that theoretically know what how can how can it be fixed, but they just haven't got the um, the support of industry to make it make it better. Really, that's what yeah. it comes down to. So, yeah, well, um, you know, I I mean, you know, from me sitting on committees and stuff, how much I kind of push the industry to try and support, but it does come down to government as well. Yeah. Um, you know, the funding, um, the support for the teachers, the support for the resources. You know, whether it's you know our paper-based resources or our actual equipment resources. You know, supporting the teachers, 
to be a TAFE teacher, you've got to have your training and assessment certificate. Yeah. That's not easy to get. But, but that, but that hasn't good. always been that way, has it? So in the old no. days, you just got grabbed somebody from industry, didn't you? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it changed. Uh, I can't remember what year it changed, but um, it's, it's now, it's, I mean, it was in before I started um, and that was 10, well, more than that, 11, 12, 13 years ago now sort of thing. Um, but they're making it even more difficult now. They're upping the course. They're upping what, you know, qualifications you need to have. Um, you have to drill down to have to, um, you know, if you don't have that qualification or that unit that you're teaching, you then have to map your qualifications to say what industry experience and what qualification you have to teach a specific unit. So if I was teaching the CAD unit, um, and I didn't have that on my certificate, then how how am I competent to teach that unit? Yeah, you know, sort of thing. So it's it's very difficult um, in that sense to to get anybody into to teach. Yeah, and that's probably where I'm going is that that that, that might be a role for older guys, but it, they've made it difficult for them to come in and and uh, actually be guest lecturers, I suppose, which is what used to happen when I was at uni. Yeah. Well, look, I think they have, you know, I think we could have a guest lecturer come in for one one night or something, but we have so much that we need to teach within that year or the six months and stuff because of the course changes that to meet the all the criteria within that unit, you really don't have the time to get, you know, the knowledgeable people in to actually do stuff. Yeah. You're trying yeah, to meet those milestones. Yeah, it's certainly got a way to go in terms of to getting a good system, doesn't it, from that point yeah. of view? Yeah, and, you know, I think I think when they had um, uh, the government funding stuff and there was a lot of those private RTOs that sort of took, you know, took advantage of, of, of all those people um, and taking the money and not delivering um, has yeah. made it even harder for you know, whether you're a private RTO or, you know, or, or, or TAFE, um, it's made it a hell of a lot harder for, for all of us to, to do what we need to do. Yeah, and it makes it even harder for an industry like ours where uh, we haven't got the volume to, yes. to justify a private RTO actually starting a course. So um, No, that's, yeah, it's... Um, sort of collateral damage, aren't we? So. Yeah, yeah, and hands are really, really tied, you know. Yeah, I agree. Mm. So are you enjoying it then? I am, yeah. Yeah. It's you know it's very different. Uh, it's nice to be back out in in industry. Um, I miss my students <laughs> greatly. I you know some of them can be pains in the butt, but I do really miss miss that. Um, I don't miss the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So the classroom stuff you, you was what you really thrived on from that point of view. Yeah. Seeing, seeing the students actually, um, you know, as I said, get those light bulb moments and go from knowing absolutely nothing about surveying to being able to set up a set of legs or to do a calculation or to complete a draft, you know, a drawing in, in CAD or whatever it may be. Um, and you just see that switch and you just go, okay, they've got it. Now we Good can job, Peter. <laughs> start progressing. <laughs> 
So yeah, so I, my life is pretty much project management at the moment. So um, a little bit different. What does that mean from from point of view of surveying? So is it organising people or organising yeah. clients? And, and bit of both. Um, yeah. It's you know we get jobs come in and you know and basically go okay we need you to look after that job basically here's the packet here you go there's your team get everything sorted so it's you know it's contacting the clients um, making sure your paperwork is up to date you've got all your swims and all that sort of stuff any any kind of you know um, WHS documentation that needs to be done uh, project briefs so that the surveyors actually know what they know what they are going to do um, you know their time frames their budgets all that kind of stuff to you know start to finish yeah so are you doing are you doing are you doing budgets do you analyze your budgets and how they go and all that sort of stuff do you yeah you um the pricing yet or what i haven't done pricing who's interviewing who <laughs> i know it's just it's just fascinating <laughs> because it's a jump it's a massive jump from going there and all these things i'm asking you about are the <laughs> things that that are not surveyory things that you have to deal with sorry about that no 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 it's all good yeah no i'm i'm learning budgets i did a little bit of budgeting as a head teacher, um, yeah. but I've definitely been thrown in the deep end where I am. Um, so I'm, you know, probably at times look like the duck where, you know, I'm swimming along the top, but my legs are going a million miles an hour. And then maybe there's other times where they just think, oh my God, who is this person? <laughs> <laughs> what is wrong with her? <laughs> but yeah. Um, and I probably get the most satisfaction out of dealing with the clients and yeah, good and That's stuff fabulous. like that. So yeah, it's it is it's a it's a very big jump, um, but I'm enjoying it. Good. Yeah. Well, that's, congratulations. It's all. Well, thank you. It's a difficult. It would have been a difficult decision. So. Yeah, uh, it was. It it was a difficult decision, um, but to me, when a job starts affecting your home life it's not worth having it's not worth doing so it was the decision of how how can things change or what can I do to make things change I'd already tried all of that and it didn't work so um to me it's move on find something else and if I don't like that or if I'm not good at that I'll go and find something else to do yeah well that's the great advantage of having surveying qualifications you can get a job in a large range of industries isn't it from that point of view so yeah yeah so so yeah so that's me that's you good (laughs) i'm pleased (laughs) let's get back to you (laughs) you get back to me yeah sorry no 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 that's okay um well you went from working in surveying companies um making your way up where you're managing teams and stuff in companies or um, you had your well, company as well. It, we, so. See, we that, that's the, the big thing about surveying. We were we were a big yeah, Craig and Rose were a relatively big company, but yeah. we we weren't um anywhere near as big as they are now. So um you had sort of pockets of guys and you had a development manager um and you had a, a guy that managed small jobs. Um and you work for those guys, but they were, you know, they had their projects, I suppose, and you and you went from one to the other, and you had a a breadth of understanding, um, some great cadastral surveyors, and we did some great cadastral jobs, 
um, any any cadastral work in some parts of Sydney is an, is enormously mm -hmm. uh, rewarding um, when there's virtually no marks. There's never been any marks. Yeah. Uh, to doing stuff out in the western suburbs, you know, um, Pennant, uh, sort of Castle Hill, Borkham Hills, West Pennant Hills, uh, out at Bosley Park. Uh, those those sorts of suburbs were um, really worthwhile, and we did a we, we created communities, and and I sort of re I really um, enjoyed that part of it. And then I got into road design, um, and uh, contract admin. I did a little bit of that, I suppose. Um, uh, certainly did a bit of design, um, but I enjoyed uh, coming up with a project, uh, getting taking it from a greenfield site to actually. Uh, bashing the pegs in and uh, signing the plan really that's what that's what it ended up doing and that sort of attracted me I suppose and that that really was the decision to move to Port Macquarie um, uh, because the the Greenfield subdivision um, market was relatively tightly controlled and it was hard to break into as a practice and yeah. uh, I didn't want to do that by cutting fees so whereas Port Macquarie was all Greenfields basically at the time so um and that happened in uh, 1992. So uh, I registered to there and I, I so came up and started you registered? 88. So 88. it took me a while to get registered. Um, yeah. I sort of bummed around there for a while because you'd left school and you, uh, you went to uni and you sort of had a couple of years off and just enjoyed working and, yeah. and doing stuff. I got married. Um, then uh, uh, 87 was my first child, and I thought, well, geez, I better get that Mac together here now. <laughs> um, Responsibility. My, my, yeah, my second son hardly even knew me until he was about three because I got registered. And, and I can tell this story, and, and I know it's, a, it's an old guy's story, but in the old days, we did all of our projects all in one go. Um, we did the park test, and we did our astronomy at uni, but we did the park test over two days and calcs okay. inside a little little hall and then we did all our five projects uh, over two days and uh, fortunately I passed all those in one go. Yeah, right. So I became registered in 1998. So, um, a bit different to these days, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, but but I'm, I'm, I'm conscious of what a couple of my oldest of those always uh, always said to me, oh, well, in the old days, we, we did it better. But, but I don't think that's right. I don't think the old days is better. It's all, mm -hmm. it's different. It's relative. So I'm not saying it's any uh, easier or any harder now. Um, it is what it is. And mm -hmm. and uh, certainly it's a, a massive commitment and uh, still the same commitment. And probably the, the biggest problem we have is demonstrating what a, an enormous commitment it is to, to uh, the candidates to get registered. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that was yeah, that was good, and then uh, left and went to Port Macquarie. And you know, I'm a big fan of the region areas, and you're a South Coast girl as well, aren't you? So um, yes. And it's just I was just reflecting that Port Macquarie's changed a fair bit since 1992. <laughs> um, and uh, you know, interestingly, the Pacific Highway was finished last week. Did you know that? Oh so no. 657 kilometres. Um, wow have that been finished yeah it did mm. and then because uh, uh, throughout the entire time I was here and even my former partner Peter King he was actually the state member for parliament for a little while and he was pushing for the Pacific Highway upgrade way back then so before before it even started anywhere of construction so 
but that was a mammoth project. It really has, has changed the way we do things in, in Port Macquarie. And I was looking at something on the news about Old Bar and, and oh, yeah. uh, you know, Old Bar is really within, you know, sort of driving distance of Sydney now as well. And, and they'd opened up new things and all things are going ahead at Old Bar. And, and in the old days, you could get as far as Foster, but that was about all, all you yeah. could get to because it was too hard. Um, but now it's an hour and a half to Coffs Harbour or a little bit over that maybe. And so those regional centres are linked better than they ever were. And mm. uh, places like Coffs Harbour and Port Macquarie are sort of halfway points for transport between Brisbane yeah. and Sydney. So so it's a great new story in terms of um, the development of regional areas. And and everybody bangs bangs on about the NBN, but um, throughout this whole COVID thing, my NBN here has been absolutely flawless, really, at the end of the day. We've I think it's definitely had, been pushed to the limits, hasn't it? Well, it's had, it's unbelievable. <laughs> it's, somebody needs a pat on the back for that because I, I think it's fantastic. So it's saved us really, hasn't it? So. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. Um, yeah, and it really makes a difference. And people are coming to Port Macquarie now to, to live. So um, mm. and, I think uh, um, in, in all of this that's happened, people have realised that they don't have to be in the city anymore. Correct. That they yeah. can change their lifestyle, still have a decent job or still work remotely for someone in the city and have a better lifestyle balance. Yeah, and you can you can actually get less money, but still have a better lifestyle, right? So, um, and uh, uh, and 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 things like uh, you know medical facilities. Um, uh, I was speaking to a specialist the other day, and my son is training to be a medical specialist. But I was speaking to another specialist, and he said, "I can do ninety percent of what is done in my specialty in Port Macquarie. The other ten percent, I just send them to Sydney." That's what he said. So. Uh. Um, it's a pretty good story from that yeah. point of view. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so I'm a big fan of the region areas. I'm encouraging everybody to have a crack at, uh, you know, uh, going out there. And, and what, what the regional survey practice does is that allows you to to do a, a range of things from, you know, from basic cadastral surveying uh, right through to town planning. Yeah. And as we had at uh, King and Campbell, uh, landscape architecture, architecture, uh, planning, project management, the whole box and dice. So um, and that's what that's basically what I did since I came here. So I and drive around and and you know I go to oh yeah I did that subdivision I did that subdivision <laughs> had a problem there and uh, so all my mistakes keep coming back to you. So but that's <laughs> that's one of the downsides. But 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 other than that, uh, it's it's relatively relatively fulfilling, I suppose. Yeah. So did you start your own company when you went to Port Macquarie? No, no, I, I, I've never, been, I'm never a big fan of, of single partner companies, and I yep. tell you why is because you are forever stuck. You, you always get stuck with making a decision about something mm-hmm. that is your responsibility. But if you have a partner, uh, in whatever sense, you know, it could be your, your partner in life, but but your business partners particularly, if you get to have a chat with them um, about that. Invariably, they don't come up with the answer, but that you talking with them will enable you to come up with the, the right answer or the best answer. Mm. And that that's always been beneficial. And mindful, I did say that Craig and Rhodes did split because those guys get, didn't get on. And the King and Campbell we were lucky that they were, we got some really good guys who were completely different personalities, but we all got 
on in some way and we yeah. were able to get through our difficult periods and mm. and you know and thrive and and into um, a 20-year partnership basically yeah wow 26 years so yeah it's a long time so yeah uh, but you know that's the message is that you need to find a business partner that you can get on with you don't necessarily have to be like-minded or even same discipline but you need to communicate well with them um and you need to understand that sometimes they're going to come to you with an issue that they don't want you to solve. They just want to talk about it. Yeah. And if you can do that, you'll be a better partner and they'll, they'll uh, come up with the right decision. Mm, okay. Interesting. So, yeah, King, King Campbell started off, you know, we had nine. Um, we had, I sort of increased the technology in King Campbell a little bit. We, we were sharing a computer or sharing two computers doing road design. And uh, oh, gosh. <laughs> didn't really like that. Yeah, well, that was the way it was. And we had, uh, you know, so you, you did your calculations on the computer, then you plotted it out and you went back to your desk and did all your hand stuff. Yeah. And so we, we you know, got a thousand more licenses of every particular software and, and, and obviously a computer on everybody's desk eventually. So, yeah. um, but certainly there was, a, there was a, a jump in technology when I first came here and, and that never really stopped from that point of view. Where, yeah. um, and it hasn't stopped now. They're still going really well in terms of what they're doing. Uh, King and Kim, a whole bunch of young blokes coming through. So it's it's one of the hallmarks of what we did was just um, always adopters, adopt things that, not necessarily everything, but things that were going to be productive and help you do your job better, really. That's yeah. what it comes down to. So, yeah. um, And that's the test with technology not technology for technology's sake, sake. it's about um, getting the best out of it and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, making uh, your job uh, easier and um, and a better result more economically as well. Mm. Well, I think, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors when you're looking at bringing new things into, you know, is it going to be beneficial? Is it going to, um, you know, save time or help or, you know, make things easier in a certain way or is it just a whiz bang bit of equipment that you can flush around yeah exactly and 100 percent right and and to be really um you know to be fair to peter king and andrew cam they, they left that to me a fair bit so okay um and even later on that the guys uh, you know we've got some very capable guys there now and they they recognize the benefits of that and uh they don't question it basically so as long as it's got a business case they'll uh they'll come on board uh it doesn't yeah. matter what generation they are so there's really no crusty old surveyors at um, king and campbell i can tell you so <laughs> uh, it's the first time i've used that phrase crusty old surveyors <laughs> they're just elsewhere <laughs> they're elsewhere that's exactly right they're by uh, themselves they're not me yeah. i'm not a crusty old surveyor <laughs> the, you were talking about um you know, moving rural and being able to do all this different stuff. Um, I think being in the city, there's a lot of people that really get pigeonholed into the construction or the greenfield or the brownfield or, you know, whatever it may be. And they really have no experience um, in their surveying life at anything else besides that one little, one little niche of work. Um, yeah, and I think I think that's hundred percent right. I absolutely think that's correct. Um, and so I'd encourage everybody to just and, and it's funny enough the uh, when you do some of the uh, candidate workshops, you can see that they 
they are aware of the, the surveying um, element to something, but they don't know why why it's why it fits in. I suppose. Yeah. Um, so and and that's you know is that that I'm not going to come up with the answer to it, but is that because there's such a shortage of surveyors that we're not we're not broadening what we actually do now? When, when I first left uni, people went off and did. They did the, the, the cadastral. I worked uh, in the public sector. There were obviously a lot more public sector surveyors then. Mm. They went into land development management with places like Landcom, which had just sort of started in the 80s. They went into uh, you know, state rail. They went into the Navy and hydrography and all those sorts of things. Um, so, And then they became managers as well as surveyors. So I think... Um, and that, and that was partly because there was there was more surveyors. So I started uni, I think it was 70 when I started, Peter. So it was 70 in my first year. So, um, and that's a, a, a big number compared to what starts now. And Yeah, the um, numbers are quite small, aren't they? Yeah, that's right. So so what happens is that they, they become really um, pigeonholed into that aspect of it. And yeah, yeah. when I did my construction set out, you know, um, we did some high-rise stuff there and we just went and whacked a few marks in, you know, on a lift and, and they basically did all the set out themselves. But now they really require a surveyor to basically set every single change of direction or change of yeah. level out. So they're on their site all the time. So, yeah. and that's that's a sort of a new ph phenomenon, I suppose, that what that indication is that the building trade that can't set anything out themselves these days. So... They're more dependent on the, on the survivor than they ever been. Mm. Um, so yeah, but but how can you encourage them to do it? We'll just have a crack, just um, just get out there. There's plenty of jobs, but uh, we just got to get everybody to uh, to move around. I suppose that's really what it comes down to, isn't it? Yeah, it is. Um, you know, I think not that not that you want your guys to move. No. <laughs> No, I need but, them. <laughs> but but so does that mean that you can inside a bigger firm? So now they they've got a much more ability to move them around as well. So um, there certainly been a ten, tendency to, to to a place a bigger workplace that they can move them around in different areas if they get a bit stale. Don't don't you think? Yeah, I I agree with that. But I or there is a lot of people who. Um, maybe have worked for five years or plus and know that that's what they want to do. You mm. know, I, I, they they go and do something else and they don't really know it and it's they just don't want to learn it. So they just go back because they know how to do the construction or they know how to do the road set outs or, you know, whatever it may be. So, you know, I think depending on what company you're in, you probably have that ability to to change between them. I know that, you know, our guys sort of work between rail and road and, you know, the scanning and different bits and pieces, but you do find that there's a small crew that are always on the rail and yeah. there's a small crew that are always doing the RMS stuff. And Yeah, sorry. there's nothing wrong with that. That's, they're the backbones of any business, really, yeah. those sort of dependable workers. But but if, you, if you're feeling like there's a, you're sort of stuck in a rut, then uh, there's plenty of opportunities to yeah, have a crack. And, yeah. yeah. And we yeah. know from the stuff that we've done this year that, you know, it, it, it can't happen now, obviously, but, um, you know, if, even if you want to go overseas, you, your qualifications in Australia will get you uh, a job overseas fairly simply. Yeah. I was um, on a Facebook page the other day and uh, there was a surveyor 
who was moving to America at some stage, hopefully soon. <laughs> I don't know when that's going to be because um, his, his wife must be American or something. They're moving Texas way or something and sort of said, oh, you know, I'm a licensed surveyor. I'm from New South Wales. I'm a licensed surveyor. Um, and I'm wondering, you know, what I need to do or, you know, some jargon I need to learn and all this sort of stuff. And I kind of went, um, so New South Wales or are you talking about Victoria? <laughs> Victoria, and he turned around and he goes, oh, no, I'm registered. I just thought they would easily understand what a licensed surveyor is rather than a registered <laughs> surveyor. <laughs> all right. Got very confused. Yeah. Well, that's right. So surveyor with, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, well, they do say laws, but they have the same problem over there in Canada as well. They, they uh, call them all different things from that point of view. Um, yeah, I, I've started becoming more um, friends with more people overseas and, and you know, and stuff. And, and I've kind of even tried to, be, I've given up trying to work out how their whole system works. They've got all these different tiers and all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, yeah. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yeah, well, it's nice that you're doing that, though. That's really what we've done this year a couple of times, talking to the Canadians and the guys in the US on the podcast. Um, yeah, it, and they're sort of kindred spirits. And we had the uh, the CSN uh, conference this year, had uh, a Canadian surveyor telling us about what he does and how he battles the bears and goes in a helicopter and, and drops down to do the petrol pipeline surveys and all those sorts of things so it was really uh, so that that sort of ability to to broaden our um reach to other other parts of the world is is really worthwhile as well i think at not necessarily just at, a, at an academic technical level but actually the guys that actually do the work on the ground so getting to oh, those guys really really cool i think yeah really yeah cool. definitely i've um you know uh, i'm you know i've never met them in real life but um quite happy and proud to call them their friends of mine because yeah. you know we have so much contact um and you know uh, understand and and know a bit about each other now and all that sort of stuff that you know you've got these contacts that you know if you ever did go anywhere they would welcome you with open arms yeah and, and as csm we we talked about it but obviously um it's difficult to uh, implement it now but the idea of having a study tour that went to the States, for example, and uh, it would be really worthwhile and great to go over those and see those guys and get to meet them at one of their conferences, but then uh, you could do yeah. all sorts of things around that. So, um, you know, and so that, that sort of idea about a study tour would be, be worthwhile, worth considering if you, if you know enough guys, I suppose, and you've got yeah. the time to, to go over there. Yeah. Yeah. So you were talking about how the profession has been changing over well since 1992 when you moved to <laughs> how do you think you see it um, moving forward over the next 10 years you, you know you talk well, about it, progression and all that sort of stuff well i think the the um the, the first 10 years were really difficult um you know i can name it probably goes more than 10 years but we go 1983 84 we had a recession 88, we had a bit of a recession. 1991, we had a recession we had to have with Paul Keating. Um, uh, 95 was a bit uh, down, particularly in a regional area. And then we had 2000, which is the GST. Then we had 2004, which is Mike Egan's vendor tax, right? 
Well, you so you can see all these. Me down. <laughs> the milestone. Well, it, it's actually been okay since. Um, and then, and then we had a change of government in 2011, and so it, it was. It's the 2011-2020 has been uh, significantly the best, um, almost decade that that our industry has seen. Yeah. Um, it was partly driven by the, the government wanting to see more activity, but. It was also driven by a pent-up demand in in dwelling supply uh, in the first half of the the century. Um, you know, we we made some presentations locally to the Chamber of Commerce um, here in Port Macquarie about land supply, and and um, 2007 New South Wales was creating about 55% of the dwellings that Victoria was creating. So here's a state that's basically bigger, right, in terms of numbers, but we were creating 55% of the dwellings, right? Wow. So, and then and that just sort of light bulb moment. Well, why is that? What, what's going on? You know, what can you do? What triggers can you can you uh, pull to, to make that at least on par with what's happening in Victoria? And why are they doing better than us? So, um, you know, that was a, a thing that we did locally, Um it sort of kicked the council into gear a little bit because our local council is a development council that relies on what uh, what then was Section 94 funds, Section 7.11 funds now. They just changed that to confuse blokes like me that have left. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that sort of, that they relied on that money and we went from um, 800 lots a year back down to a low of about 330. Wow. And um, we, we potentially went back to about 1,000. So... I mean, they're not big numbers from a Sydney point of view, but they are big numbers from the point of view of percentage increases. And what it, what that that wasn't doing was, and this is what it had, we had the ability to figure out that it wasn't sustaining the community uh, community that was uh, relying on the construction sector in 2007, which is actually the mining boom. So what happens? All our builders went out of town they, on on the mining boom to get jobs because they couldn't yeah. get jobs. There wasn't enough houses here. And we 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 were firmly of the opinion that it wasn't uh, necessarily because uh, people didn't want to buy houses. There just wasn't enough land coming onto the market. If you haven't got the land, you can't build a house. Right? Simple as that. So um, the council were relatively proactive. They tried hard. They changed a few things, deferred uh, their their contributions, and and did some things. And then we we kicked off and we went back to a thousand. I'm not quite sure what the current figures are, but. But essentially, the local building industry is too busy at the moment, so they're just going absolute gangbusters. And developments that sort of stop with the GFC in 2007 have have just kicked on big time. So we've got whole communities that are that are being built now um, after being um, struggling and stopping, if you like, in the GFC. Yeah. So so that's. To, and then we've seen mergers and we've seen everybody realise that, and not necessarily everybody, but we've seen some really uh, intelligent surveyors realise that getting a little bit bigger is better. So I'm always of the opinion that there's a certain cap to a size of a survey practice bef- before we have to get a stack bigger to get people to manage parts of it, um, yeah. the HR side of it and the, the office work. Yeah. So in King Cam, we had a conscious decision to sort of cap that at about 35 because we didn't want a branch office. Okay. Um, but, you know, if you get bigger than that, you potentially then uh, crack down to 50s and 60s so that you can you can justify um, a level of administrative support 
uh, to handle that many people, I suppose. And that's changed. And people are a lot more savvy from that point of view. Um, and uh, and they've done a great job with that. And, and there's some really quality firms that have done that. And, yeah. you know, even some listed firms that, that have... That are, that are survey firms as well. So mm. they've done a, done a really good job. And so that's not, not what would have been a typical surveyor in the 90s. They were really relatively conservative and uh, didn't want to make a lot of big decisions like that. But now they're, um, they're you know, cautiously but considered and they're making some really big corporate decisions that, that are great for the industry in terms of uh, job opportunities. And then the economic activity and, you know, one of my... One of my big pet peeves is everybody whinging about asset sales, and and you in the public sector, you you formerly in the public sector might might say the same thing. But what happened with the asset sales, and particularly for regional areas, was in 2011 they they legislated that 30% of it had to go to regional areas, and it's not asset sale from that point of view; it's asset recycling. So what they do is they build something which we get work out of, and then they sell that and build the next one again, right? So, wow. so that, that is a really good uh, positive thing for us and that, that infrastructure spend has always been the thing that's going to sustain us through this difficult period that we're in now, I think. Um, and, it, and that is all the more reason um, why we know that there's plenty of work for surveyors at the moment. That's why everybody's busy, really. Yeah, so, okay. Interesting. Um, there's a lot yeah, of people and, and, that wouldn't know that and wouldn't, you know, realise well, that. So, so the, the balance sheet of the state has gone up, even though they sold a stack of stuff. Mm. And what was happening was that the money that we were making was going into, you know, paying wages. It was recurring income, where, whereas what they're doing now is investing it in in assets that, that make money, make things like the Pacific Highway is a really good example. So that generates economic activity, which is great for us. Um, brings more people to the area and gives us more jobs. So, um, you know, there's, there's a balance to all that, but but it often comes up with, you know, the, the politicians are selling the farm. Well, they're not really. Um, they are recycling assets so they, they can afford to do that. And, uh, and I know that's changed a little bit because the interest rates are, are zero. Um, I know that because I'm semi-retired. Um, so, but they can borrow money very cheaply and they can theoretically um, afford to build the infrastructure. But the, the thing they've got to realise, and we've all got to realise, is you've got to have the cap capacity to build that infrastructure. You can't just come up with the money. That's that's only the first part of it. You've actually got to have the capacity to build it, haven't you? So, um, so do you think we have the capacity moving forwards to, to supply? Well, in terms of a profession, um, yeah. Well, I think I think we're well placed. I think we've got to be aware that that uh, there is more um, strings to our bow now. So we're doing more construction set out, and there's more infrastructure, like rail, for example. There's, there's a stack of money going into rail out west, yeah. and the city people don't see it. Well, you'd know that, wouldn't you? So. Um, there's a lot, a lot of work going into rail, and that's a really good thing. Um, but uh, I think, I think there's enough surveyors out there. We just got to make sure that they get properly trained and and get into the right jobs and do the right work. So, um, but it, what that does is it allows the the business owners to be more confident and invest in their businesses, you know, yeah. um, conservatively, but know that they can grow their businesses and 
and uh, as long as we can supply them with more people, that's the that's the uh, more more trained surveyors. They they can grow their business and get more work. So, so um, in, in decades ahead, yeah, I, I think we're okay. I think we're going okay. I think we've got some really good things in place in terms of encouraging people to be surveyors. Um, I heard Ms. Uh, Narelle talk about the work she's doing, and obviously I was part of the original. Um, New South Wales Surveying Task Force, which is driven out of the um, Surveyor's Demand Study, which is in its third edition now. So, and that was a great document. It's sort of one of those really important documents that we started. I think it was 2012 we started that. Yeah, so um, and that's that, just- Were you president then? Uh, um, you on committee or? Was I? Yeah. Yeah, 2012, 2013. I think it had started to get ready and I was president when I came out, yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and that was something different. And, and it, see, look, it's, a, it's another great thing about our profession. We had contributions, ACS sort of ran it, I suppose, and, and we came up with the idea. Um, but we had massive contributions from the Surveyor General and Registrar General at the time, Des Mooney, um, and obviously IS New South Wales, uh, Country Surveyors. And look, there's a great list of, of organizations. A lot of the groups got uh, involved as well. Um, and so it was a it was everybody contributing to it. It wasn't acting independently. They're all doing it, and um, mm. they saw the benefit of, of it. And um, it's been redone three times, and it's gone national now. And and it just helps everybody realise that. Um, and it certainly it's, it's something you can go to government with and and TAFE <laughs> and and explain to them that we we need more surveys. Um, and there's more work to do on that, obviously, but it was certainly something that, that guided what we did in, in, in terms of our priorities. And, it, and it's been a real um, important thing that we keep doing in terms of our involvement with the New South Wales Surveying Task Force. And you, you probably know that Michelle Blicklaz has got some plans to try and coordinate um, some parts of that nationally, not necessarily a national task force, but, but to get everybody uh, sort of doing some things together. Because it started in Victoria. Did you know that, Peter? So no. uh, the Victorian Task Force was the original task okay. force. And we sort of, yeah, we bought some intellectual property from them. And, uh, right. Yeah, so it helped us get around for quite a while, but, yeah, didn't know the background in it. I mean, it's yeah. a big thing, and I think it really gets, um, you know, it gets the word out there and it helps support people, you know, getting it into you know, the younger, the, the schools, the the people and get our name out there. Yeah, and and, and certainly um, it, I, I've heard it mentioned on your podcast before about um, getting to people, you know, at year eights, nines and tens, and I think that's important too. Yeah. Um, I suppose I'd probably deviate a little bit in terms of letting everybody know what we do. I'm not so, I mean, and that'd be great if we could do that, but it's like, it's like trying to, you know, it's like a public health campaign. We just haven't got the resources to be able to do that. What we want to do is make sure that everybody that uses a surveyor knows what a surveyor does. Um, and sort of, so it, it's sort of targeted marketing. And I yeah. think that's that's a better use of our resource than just, you know, putting our um, surveyors a grate on the side of a bus going down the middle of the street of Melbourne or the tram <laughs> in Melbourne. I did see that once and I looked at it. <laughs> It was a $15 million campaign or something. So we're not going to do that. Where we're never going that? to do that. Yeah, it was a, it was a chartered account. No, it was a oh. chartered account. Yeah, a great, you know, chartered oh, okay. account. Great. <laughs> so, you know, use a chartered account. So we've just got to, we're going to market to the people that uh, that use us, you know, and development yeah. managers, construction guys, 
so that know know the importance of what we do and know the importance of our data and and yeah. uh, if we tell them to do something, they've really got to do it. Otherwise, it's not in their best interest to to not do it. Basically, so um, and uh, I think I think we we've, we've done that a little bit over the last um, five or ten years in terms of um, uh, our ability to uh, make representations to places like the Australian Chamber of Commerce and Industries and Construction Industry Forum. Yeah. This year we joined, and I mean Michelle's been talking to. Uh, Senator Andrews, and she's been on the something with the. Who hasn't she spoken to? Frydenberg, um, <laughs> you know. So, and but the the reason why that is is because we've got some really good grassroots stories. And she started the coffee chats this year yeah. um, with ACS and then CSN. So, and they were they were really worthwhile. I thought it was really uh, something fantastic that. It really helped, particularly the Melbourne guys when they were locked down. There was a couple of Melbourne guys that were really flat uh, when they spoke to us a couple of times, not because they, they, um, the, the, it was because they were trying to keep their guys motivated, but then they got not motivated themselves. So even in their own business, they were flat. So yeah. talking on the coffee chats was really good, and so that sort of. That sort of camaraderie and talking to each other as surveyors is, is really worthwhile. We probably don't do enough of that. Or we do it at the conferences, I suppose. But but um, yeah, that that helps us as a profession, I think. Yeah, I, I think that, as you said, I think they did make a massive difference to especially, yeah, the Melbourne, the Melbourne people. You know, even when I spoke to Kelly, um, you know, that was a few weeks ago, even though it just went to air, you know, the other week. It, it's it, I spoke to her a while ago and, yeah, she she was so down because you know you're just stuck and there's nothing you can do and and there's only so much of that you can take because they were in lockdown for so long yeah imagine being a surveyor stuck in quarantine you just oh, couldn't do it so yeah i mean i couldn't think of anything worse <laughs> um so you know and this year's been a real challenging challenging year and you know um i think we've done pretty well really that's that's a reality um yeah. i think you know, well, at the start, I expected we were going to go into recession slash uh, depression. So yeah. my, my my 1980s and my 1991s were thinking, and uh, you know, it's the first time we're going to have that for 26 years or something. So, um, but but to be to full credit to the government, both state and um, federal, they've they've sort of kept things going, and people have been uh, able to commit and buy houses and build blocks of land. So. Um, it was funny, um, local developer uh, who I didn't work for, but um, he contacted the local member and um, and said that, you know, we're, we stopped development, but now we're really busy and we're going to have a lot of plans that are going to get registered and we're worried that they're not going to be able to register, get registered in time. So... Uh, <laughs> So and she said, "Oh, you got somebody I can ring up to, uh, give this guy's name to." And then and she, and I gave him Adam Bennett's name. And then he rang Adam Bennett, and Adam Bennett said, "Nah, it's okay, it's all good." And then uh, he thought that was the best thing in the world that that he could, you know, talk to somebody, get a name, and ring this guy up, and then and then get that sort of service because he knew how important it was and how busy it was going to be. And uh, yeah. and he was really complimentary of the whole system from that point of view. And, yeah. and that that's the guy that knows the benefit of a surveyor right yeah. and and he knows how important that surveyor is to his business and and to how he, 
you know, why he's in business and why he's trying to make money, basically. And that's the guy that, that we need to uh, really um, form part of our, our strategy to, 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 to get across the importance of a surveyor. Mm. How do you do that? Well, I think, I, I think it, it's, and it has come up before about um, what I've learned over the last 30 years is that we're all salesmen. We are all salesmen. You are you you are a salesman in your current job. You were a salesman before, and we don't actually um, learn any salesmanship, right? And then some surveyors aren't particularly good at it, but you can learn it. Uh, it is possible to learn it, and um, you can you can study up and read on that, and you can gather that information over a period of time. Yeah. But we need to be able to um, individually impart to that guy. We don't just do a uh, we do, we've got a range of services and, and and it increases it's not about the price it's about the value that i can offer you yeah uh, it's always about the value right yeah. and so and you tend you, you mentioned it before about delivering and and time frames and stuff like that but it's about value and and sometimes if the guy is is just there for the lowest price well so what you know go to the next guy if you can so it's really super important and and that's not as easy uh, in the city as it. Um, sorry, it's not easy in the regional areas as perhaps the city. But yeah. in reality, um, if you stick to your guns and know what your value is and know what it makes, you know what you need to make to make to make yourself a decent wage and pay pay your staff and come up with a decent office and yeah. a decent set of equipment. Then, you know, if he doesn't want to use you, then uh, then basically uh, move on. So. Yeah. There's always been that thing about A, A, B, and C class clients, and and you just got to really look after your A class clients and make sure they want to do the next job because um, yeah. they're the really good ones. So yeah. it takes you a while to build those up, uh, but that if you can do that, then you've got a successful practice. Mm. Do you think that the surveyors on the ground need to understand the A, B, C clients and the costings and stuff? You know, if they're just going out and doing the survey work. Yeah, I do. I think that needs to go right through, right through the the culture of your firm. That that you have to identify the really important guys, and 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 it, 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 as they come in the door and they talk to your front office staff, they need to get a feeling that you know I want you here. You know, mm. you guys are really important to our practice. Mm. And that's always been the way at King Campbell. Our front office, how how we um, greet those people was always how we talk on the phone is super important. So those basic sort of uh, customer service things we've got to learn. Um, and even that surveyor guy in the field has got to learn that as well. Um, and, you know, we we have to teach them that um, as well as the business side of it, as well as the economic side of it, I suppose. But um, And they have to learn that from their uh, supervising surveyors or mentor surveying, mentoring surveyors, as we're calling them now. So, um, but it's certainly something that that needs to percolate down right through an organisation to know uh, what the importance of of treating those customers right is. Yeah. And then at the end, you you can reflect that in your fees. That's really what it comes down to. Um, If you, I mean, it's funny we were. We were talking about getting an X-ray or something. Um, my wife is getting an X-ray, and the first thing they do is tell you, "Oh, it's twenty dollars or fifty dollars out of pocket expenses." And, and say, "Well, 
I don't really care what the out-of-pocket expenses is. I want, I want the x-ray. I want the, the thing done right, and then I'll worry about the cost, right? So they always seem to jump straight to the to the fees, and if you can explain what's happening and what value you're providing, then the, the fees, and they can rub their hands and get a little bit anxious about it at the end, but a lot of the time, if you can add value, they'll they'll they will accept that your fee is a reasonable fee and then they'll engage you on the basis. So um, I suppose I can do that because I'm old and retired, but it, it's, but there's certainly been times where you've, you've, you've worried about the, the level of fees. Um, but you know, you get a little bit, a little bit um, quarantined from it because you're in a smaller town, I suppose. And we never, we again stayed away from some sections of work because we knew there was more competition in that work. So we, we tended to stay in the bigger stuff. So, um, which is, you know, a, another um, problem that some surveyors don't do um, the bigger stuff. So they, they're stuck in the, in that term supermarket surveying. So um, it's harder for them from that point. But again, you know, they've got to service their clients and then make sure they, they, um, they look at their fees and regularly review their fees, and, and if something changes, then they've got to, um, you know, up up their fees to reflect those changes, basically. Mm. Yeah, it's you're, you're providing a professional service, aren't you? Yeah, it's very much a professional service, and they, you, look, you don't get taught that, so that's why I asked you the questions about budgeting before. So <laughs> it's good they've chucked in the deep end, but. So you will make some mistakes, and you'll you'll get you'll you'll go and worry about it. Geez, I didn't make any money on that job. So, but but you know that's again that's a really good lesson. You've got to learn from that, and yeah. uh, make sure you don't make that lesson well, again. Well, I can right? proudly say that my first project management job I did make money on. Good. <laughs> my that's second excellent. one is dragging out a bit because we've had a lot of issues. So, I don't know. We'll see how we go at the end of. Uh, Oh, we're supposed to finish at the end of January. I'll let you know on that one. <laughs> oh, that's good. So, look, the reality is that you've done pretty well if you're making, you know, there's plenty of reasons for it to drag out at the moment, isn't there? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a bit of an unknown in some of the stuff we're doing and and then, um, you know, equipment issues on top of it is sort of... Yeah, so did you buy some more equipment? That's the other thing. Everybody's been buying equipment like it's going crazy with instant asset write-off. So um, it's fantastic. Well, the, the, the manufacturers must be loving us for at the moment, I think. So. Well, I, I've noticed that, um, who was it? Was it Trimble or Lyca? I can't remember if it was maybe Pete. Oh, was it Pete Bergen? I can't remember now. I saw something on LinkedIn with a whole heap of equipment. Oh, yeah, I did too. Yeah, Someone that, was yeah. standing next to it. Oh, our next lot of equipment going out to a, you know, a lucky company sort of thing. <laughs> yeah, it was 250 grand worth of gear. So, yeah, well, it's good. <laughs> Very lucky. Yeah, and look, in reality, you know, that's that's good because it's, it's turning over the gear and um, everybody's using the latest bits of tech, yeah. really, isn't it? Yeah. So well, that's yeah. a good news story. I hope you enjoyed today's chat with Paul. Join me next week for part two. Defining Boundaries with Peter Cox.